0: Going to be in Psalms 18 tonight, and I do feel pretty confident. I say this every time, we probably won't get through it, but since how many verses is in this one, and I barely can get through 10, I'd say that we'll be on this one for a few weeks. Uh, psalms 18, though, is an interesting psalm. Uh, this is a, a pretty long psalm. There are only three Psalms longer uh, in the whole entire collection. That's Psalm 78, Psalms 89. And Psalms uh, 119. Uh, but it does have a title, and I usually don't uh, talk about the titles much, but this one I think is interesting because it does, it does tell us a little bit about the author uh, uh, for certainty, anyway. And then it also tells us about the psalm itself. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, and from the hand of Saul, and he said. So it goes in and describes this psalm. So it is uh, got David as the author. It does tell us the time. Now what's interesting about this is this psalm is not exactly identical, but, but pretty close to identical as what we see in Second, uh, second Samuel chapter 22. Um, and there is, just like any other uh, chapter of, of some in the Bible there is a little bit of controversy on a little bit of debate on exactly the time of this psalm uh, exactly what this psalm is about whether uh, some different things um, my opinion on it is that uh, Yes, this, this psalm is also when second uh, Samuel 22 when David was older I don't believe that it was actually pinned then and that he was reflecting on his life, I believe it was penned a lot earlier during the time that it actually says uh, when, after the death of Saul and when David uh, actually became king. Um, and I think 2 Samuel 22 is actually David uh, reflecting back on this. I think that's why you see the psalm a little bit different. It's almost identical. There are a little bit of changes in it, a little bit of, little bit of differences. Uh, Not enough to matter, but I think it's David reflecting back. I think it's actually David singing this psalm again in reflection of his life in 2 Samuel 22. But irregardless where where you stand on that, uh, the point of the psalm is still the same. It's about how David um, is praising God. He's thanking God for all the ways that God delivered him. And what I like about this psalm is we've seen thus far... David crying out to the Lord, his his desperation to the Lord, his uh, confidence in the Lord. And we see this in the passion that he had in in crying out to the Lord in, in, in his dire need. He has the same passion thanking God. He has the same passion in praising God now that things are going good for him. Whether he's reflecting back on his life and especially uh, I think as he penned this when, when God finally, or in David's mind finally, it was God's timing, came true on his promise about him actually becoming king and, and what he would do to David's enemy. So you, you see David being, I mean, very passionate about how he thinks God and, and it made me think about how passionate are we in our prayers to God. How passionate are we, you know, we're usually very passionate when we need God for something, when we're going through a trying time, when we're going through some difficulty or something's happening in our life, and and we truly need God in our life, and we're very passionate about that. But are we just that passionate when it comes to thanking God and and, and praising God for the things that He's done in our life? And I, I think sometimes we may fall short on that. Um and you see David as he goes through this, you, you, David could have almost said, well, you know, you, you finally done it, God, it's about time, you know, I've been I've been calling on you all of this time because there's somewhat. I, I don't know if there's an exact time you can pin, but during that whole time of from being anointed and, and running and refuge and and being a fugitive, what is it, something about 15, 20 years or something, I guess, something right in that that, frame there. So it's not like that David had an easy life. I mean, he was pretty much a fugitive the whole time, almost. And, and, and running for his life, and there's times that he was hungry. There's time, the people that with him were hungry. His enemies wanted to destroy him. There's a lot of times in which he was, uh, uh, could have been tempted to fall into that same category, as we've seen in other Psalms, that other people had, where he had opportunity to kill Saul, but he wouldn't do it. So there's a lot of things that happened in David's life. It's not like he lived a life of ease. But here he's, he, he's seeing now, and I think that's how it is. Is it easier to see how God's worked in our life after the fact or during the fact? What do you think is easier? After. after. It's hard to see it sometimes during it. You know, uh, many times during it, we're like David crying out to God, Where are you, God? And, and David has said that many times. He still had confidence in God, but he was basically crying out to God, Where are you? And here he's saying, here's all the things that you've done for me. And here's how you've done all of these things. I, I think it, it, it's David, when, when that took place with Saul and, and Saul's death and, and David finally you know, becoming king and doing the things in which God promised him to do in that moment. And also in 2 Samuel 22, I think even reflecting back on that life and, and seeing all that he had came through that God had done for him. And, and, and praising him for it. So there's a lot of things I think that we can see in this psalms that I think that uh, can help us. But let's look at verses 1 through 3 to start with. He says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. It's hard for me to read that last part without singing it, because we sing that song uh, a lot, I Will Call Upon the Lord. And that's where this comes from, Uh, comes from this psalm. But let's notice some things about this. He says, I will love you, O Lord. This is a a declaration. Uh, Again, it's it's made in a time of of great triumph. It's, It's true that David decided to love the Lord. I like how he says this, I will, I will love you. He didn't say, I love you. He didn't, he didn't make it at an emotional appeal. It's something that David decided to do. As I said before, David didn't live the easiest life from the time that God told him, you're, you're going to be king, you're, you're, you're my king, and, and you're going to be king. And, and this time that goes through some, some 15 to 20 years, right in that range, He went through a lot of things, but yet he chose to love the Lord. And I think that's a a wonderful thing uh, to be able to say. The the language that he uses here, it's more than just uh, an emotion. It's actually a choice. It's a choice. I I will love you. And what David is saying is my total devotion, my, my mindset is upon you. And I think that's what got David through the problems that he faced. I think that's how David uh, got through a lot of the issues that he went through in, in, in his time of fleeing and being a fugitive from Saul. Um, David made that choice uh, to do that. Because think about it from the time that, that he was you know, taken there from his, basically from his father's house, when it was told him this, uh, there's times he lost his safety, he was hungry. He, he he lost even the support of the people that's around him. He was away from his family. I mean, we could the list could go on and on and on and on about all that happened to him. But the list can go on and on too. And David actually does that of how God sustained him and helped him through that. Because notice here, notice how how he says this again. He said, "My strength." Ah, uh, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Notice how he says that, he, that the Lord is his rock uh, and his fortress. When you think of a rock, what do you think of? If David says, you're my rock, what, what do you think he's saying about God? He's a good foundation. You know, that's the first thing that come to my mind. David is saying God is his foundation. So I did uh, something I don't normally do. I, I kind of looked up uh, different things when it come to... Uh, the Bible referring to a rock. And and notice some of these here. In Isaiah 32 and verse 2, he says, A man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest, as rivers of water in in a dry place, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. So a rock here does what? He's not talking about foundation here. It provides shade. It provides comfort. It provides... Uh, 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 something if you're out in, in where they are Where the sun's shining down This rock provides shade Notice one. it says in Exodus 33 verse 22 It says Show it shall be while my glory passes by That I will put you in the cleft of the rock And will cover you with my hand while I pass by Remember God telling this to Moses So he're talking about in the cleft of the rock This rock can be a refuge A hiding place A, a, a place of safety so you've got a rock can be the, the shade that could sustain a person, a a, a, a place of hiding, a place of refuge uh, for someone. In Psalms 40 and verse 2, says, Also he brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. There's your firm foundation. So when, when you think about this, when David is saying, You're my rock and you're my fortress, he's telling God, you, you're, you're everything that I need. You're my safety. You're my refuge. You're my shade. You're my firm foundation. You're you're everything that I need. See, this is the, the again the passion that David has, and and able to put it in these words uh, of how great uh, that God is. He goes on and says, "My God, my strength, in whom I will trust." He said, "My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold." David goes on here some what nine things, eight nine things. He's calling God his strength, his his fortress, his uh, 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 what all does he say here? Let me look here. His deliverer, his horn of salvation, his stronghold. He's going through. And he's not just saying, okay, let me just pick out some words to, to say about God. He he he's so. I mean, you can almost see the the passion. Now now think about it. As this says, this takes place right after the. Uh, David was, was uh, delivered from his enemies and from Saul. I do like how it distinguishes that. It's almost like, okay, David considered everyone that was against him his enemies, but he never really considered uh, Saul as an enemy. In other words, he said, you know, that was the king that, that, that uh, God had in him. God wants to take him out. God's going to take him out, not me. So I, I, I like how it distinguishes here his enemies from Saul. But this is a time when when all of that uh, God delivered him from that, and God placed him in the place where He promised He would be. David is just overjoyed with this, and he's saying, "God, you're my rock, you're my fortress, you're my strength, you're my horn of salvation, you're 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 everything to me." Jesus would later use that term "rock" upon this rock, talking about the confession of Peter. Yeah. Absolutely, that confession of Peter there, and, and some religions they say the rock was Peter, but it's actually the confession that that's Peter. And why he's saying that's the foundation because that's the very basis of what it's built upon—that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God—and that is that firm foundation. You're absolutely right. And how David describes this here is just—you know—just think of you're you're overjoyed with someone. Someone has helped you out of a situation that you were just overwhelmed with, that you, you just felt like you would never get out of it, and somebody helped you through that, and you're thanking them from that. Oh, you're just you're wonderful. You're my salvation. You're everything that, that, that I needed at this time. You're, you're just one. I mean, it's just like David going over and over, expressing his love, his, his thankfulness, his praise for God. And, and that's a wonderful thing to see because he uses the same passion ...that he had when he was crying out to God and arguing his case with God... ...and how he he just felt overwhelmed with his enemies and wanting God to do something. Now he's overjoyed with God did something. And I like how David uh, expresses himself here. It's just like Paul said in Ephesians 6 and 10. He says, "...Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might." Because David said, "...My God, my strength, and whom I will trust." David didn't trust just in himself. He trusted in God. matter of fact, he talks about here a little bit later how God pulls him out of the water. Almost like, God, I was drowning, I was overwhelmed, and you pulled me out. I wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for you. And I tell you, that, that's just a, a wonderful attitude to have. If we could, you know, I've looked back on my life, and I'm sure you have too, There's things that I I couldn't see God working while I was going through it. But I I can look back and say, that had to be God. That had to be God for all of these things to work out. As Paul said many times about the providence of God, perhaps it was because of this, or perhaps this. David here was, was assured beyond a shadow of a doubt, simply because this is what God had promised Now, it took a little while getting here, but now this promise is being fulfilled. And now he's able to look back and he's able to take a breath and he's actually able to see this being fulfilled. He's actually able to see this coming true. And can you imagine that feeling? Can you imagine the feeling that he had that he don't have to be in hiding anymore? He don't have to run anymore. He don't have to do the things that he was doing anymore because the one that was pursuing him is no longer pursuing him. Now he's got some more tasks, and he discusses this a little bit, of now that he is king, you know, to the people, because Saul's not there anymore, there's, there's some ways in which he has to handle it and how the people uh, have to address it. But again, he says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from my enemies. He said, you're worthy to be praised. You're the one who who brings this all about and I will call upon you. You know, as I was thinking about this, as I really put it, I knew it came from this psalm, but I didn't really study the song that we sung, that we sing a lot with this, and think about the emotion and the passion and 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 how sincere David is about it. It almost makes me think about that song a little different now. Because David is saying, you know, you're worthy to be praised and he gives proof Of why God is worthy. It's not about anything else. But about God. Any thoughts thus far? Comments? Nothing? Notice verses uh, 4 through 6. Notice David goes in and he talks about. Okay. Here's what you are to me God. Here's why I choose to love you. And I'm following you. And you're, you're worthy of praise. Because here is what made me cry out to you. Notice what he says The pains of death surround me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Shiloh surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Now he says, The pains of death surround me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. Uh, David here describes two threats. First, the threat of death, and the second, the floods of ungodliness. Now uh, David, did he face death many times? Yeah. yeah. And, and he he knew that God was with him through that. But he also experienced ungodliness with those that are around him from the things in which uh, he was tempted, as he said in other Psalms, that he, he could have went down the same path. He could have done the same thing. He could have took Saul out, and he could have become what Saul was. He could have done all these things, but he's telling God, he said, You kept me from that. You're the one that kept me from, from doing that. You, 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 you surrounded me. The, the floods of ungodliness, when they made me afraid, you were there. Because there's times that David felt like that's the only one that he could ever trust in. That God was going to be the one for him. He didn't know that, you know, who else that he could even trust at times. And David said, you are the ones, you are there with me. The sorrows are slow, they surround me. This is another way of just saying that David was, was threatened with death. Now, uh, there, there's different things that we can look at this psalm too. There's some that believe the whole psalm is a messianic psalm that's talking about Jesus there's some that thinks down about verse 40 is when it starts talking about Jesus. Um, I think it's like you can almost say the same thing with Psalms 2. It, it, it is about Jesus. Uh, it is about David. I think it's, it, it, it's got some immediate application, then it's got more broader application. And I think there were some things that were talking about Jesus also, especially from verse 40 on, that I don't know how much David realized it was that he was writing, that he was inspired to do that. Um, I think David was reflecting on his own life, but there are things that certainly do uh, pertain to Christ. And is it a Messianic psalm? I I, I would say, yeah, you could say it was, because uh, how much of it is, I don't know if I'd be willing to say the whole psalm does, as as some scholars believe. Um, Some believe it's just about David, and some believe from about verse 40. Um, I would have to say... Uh, it's about David with points to, broader, in, into the Messiah, is how, how I would view it. Um, but I think it's worthy to go and study, uh, study yourself. Uh, he said, he heard my voice from his temple. Um, one thing that amazes me, and I don't know how you study when you go and study different chapters and, and verses in the Bible, I, I always try to, to read it and think about it and pray about it and read it some more and study on it and then get my own conclusion to it. Then I, I'll go and see what other people say about it. See if I agree or disagree, see how wrong I am. And I usually find that I'm wrong most of the time, I guess. Um, uh, but, you know, I, just, I can only believe it how I believe it and how I, I see it as I'm studying it. But what really interest me sometimes is and I think it's a shame the things that that so-called scholars point out and, and are very skeptical and debate and try to undermine the authenticity of of, of the scripture itself uh, just like this for example they a lot of people say well David couldn't write this because one uh, David didn't build a temple and it says here you heard my voice he heard my voice from his temple um uh, And Solomon, of course, hadn't built the temple yet. So they say, well, it couldn't have been David that that wrote this. But notice, David didn't say anything that I see in this verse about a temple being there with him anyway. He says, he heard my voice from his temple. So he he wasn't talking about a a temple that was here anyway. I believe he's talking about God heard him in his temple. He heard him in heaven. Actually, some translations have this in heaven instead of temple, uh, talking about the same thing. Um, I think what David is describing is not the physical temple that was built by the pattern that God gave him. I think he's talking about God hearing him in his temple at the time David uh, uh, penned this psalm as far as uh, God hearing him. Because David, and you can see that throughout the psalms, David had the utmost confidence in God and that God was hearing him. Now David cried out to God many times and he... He, he, he wanted God to act quicker than he was acting, but he had confidence that God was hearing him. And here again, that's what David is saying. In my darkest time, when, when, when I was facing death, and not only facing death, but I was facing all of this ungodliness, he said, you heard my voice in your temple. You listened to me. Now, can we all say the same thing? Is David anything speci- more special than us? That Would God hear our prayers the same way? Well absolutely he will. We've got to have the confidence that God hears us, Bert. I mean, we have to subject ourselves to God. We have to believe. If I don't believe that God hears me, what's the point of praying? Now, how he's going to answer, uh, I believe he always answers in the affirmative, answers yes, if I always qualify my prayer with uh, his will is going to be done, because his will is always going to be done. You know, that's what I have to realize. But I, I have to pray knowing and understanding he's listening. To me as his children, that's a spiritual blessing. The Bible says that all spiritual blessings are in Christ, that's a spiritual blessing that we have as his children. And if we we cry out to him, we have to have the confidence that he hears us. And I can make my request to him, you know. We need, I think we need to pray the way David did, the way that Job did, not just giving God a list of our needs, but telling God. And expressing to God, okay, here's what I'm needing, here's what I'm facing, because he already knows knows anyway. But tell him what we're feeling about how we think it should, should be the outcome. Now, I may be totally wrong, because God knows the whole picture. All I know is what I'm facing here. But I've got to have the confidence that God's hearing and understanding my feelings about it. God, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm feeling. This is what seems like to me that needs to be done, and I'd like for you to do this. But I'm going to have the faith that your will be done, that you know what's best more than me, but I've got to argue my case that this is what I need. And and praying for someone to get better is a good example of that. You know, if I don't think God is able to do something, don't pray to him. It's not a matter of is God able to do it, it's what's best. I may not know what's best. You know, uh, take for example, this may not be the right example, but it just kind of come to me here. Uh, was it Hezekiah that prayed when he was sick and he got 15 more years? Was it 15 more years that he got King Hezekiah? Okay, that seems like a good thing. But there's a lot that transpired in that 15 years that wasn't so good. You know, there, there's some things that happen with Manasseh and some different things. I'm not saying God made a mistake and gave it to him, but sometimes what may seem best to us, there may be some other outcomes that come about that may not be best. So God, God knows what's best. But I got to pray with the confidence that He hears me and He knows what my needs and wants and desires are. Every time I think about this, and I'm, I'm sure I've used this example because Tony says to repeat myself some, but. Uh, I can remember being with an elder one time at the hospital and and they were praying for this lady. We were praying for this lady. She wanted uh, him to pray for her and he did. We got in the elevator and as soon as the door closed he said, she'll be dead by morning. And I'm thinking, okay, then why did you pray what you prayed then? If that was what you felt and that's what you believed, then what's the purpose of praying? Now, she very well may could have been. She wasn't. She actually did get better at this particular instance. But I, but I just thought something had to happen from the time we said that prayer till the time we walked to the elevator. If that's what you believed when you uttered that prayer, why utter the prayer? If that's truly what you believe was going to happen, because he had no idea if that was going to happen, and it very well may be. She was a pretty sick woman. But I thought the point of prayer was to you know, encourage and, and to have the faith that God is going to act one way or the other, not already make a determined factor in my mind, she's going to be dead before morning. That just devastated me to, to hear that. And I thought, I, what's the purpose of praying if that's truly what we think? If we, we think we don't serve a living God, what's the purpose of praying? I think sometimes we get confused on the miraculous works on our, our part ending and that God is still alive. We think when that ended, any works that God does is, doesn't exist anymore. Then why pray? I've had somebody tell me before, do not pray for me to get better. And I, I didn't know what to say. You know, then I tried to put myself in their position, and I thought, I don't know that they're not right. You know, if, if, if that time is right, you know, I, you know, you don't know. So there's a lot of things that uh, I, I had a lady tell me one time we were talking, talking about prayer and talking about uh, an individual in her life we were talking about different things and the situation they were in. And she actually said to me, she said, now I believe when you pray, prayer's gonna work. Don't you pray for him to die? And I thought, why in the world would I pray for somebody to die? And and I thought, okay, so you believe in prayer, so you believe I had that kind of power to pray for somebody to die? You know, no, I've had a lot of enemies over the years and I've never prayed that. But in the context that she was saying it, I, I then understood it. We, we had to have some more discussion, but but I, I've been thinking about that. And, uh, uh, we have a lot of different views when it comes to prayer but one thing that I, I've been learning as we've been studying Psalms is, is, is again David's confidence and when he was talking to God one God was hearing him and two he didn't have any problem whatsoever expressing his desire of, of what he needed God to do to his enemies what he needed God to do for him and, and I think God would want the, I, I want my children to express to me what they need from me wouldn't you? I I need my children to express to me what they're feeling about a certain situation. Have you ever, as a parent, um, maybe made a decision? You think, here's the right decision. And and you talk more with with, uh, one of your children or something, and as you listen to their point of view of it and uh, how they felt about it, not that you changed your mind that something should be this way or that way, but you did something different because of their feelings and how it turned out. You ever done that? You think God ever does that? Remember uh, uh, Abraham with Sodom? Remember God praying with Sodom? uh, Praying about Sodom? Well, what about this, God? Well, It's not that God said, Oh, yeah, I'm going to totally just change my, my total plan and do this. But he takes... His, his, his children into account. I, I firmly believe that. And he listens to them. And uh, I think that means something. Um, again, if, if it doesn't, what's the blessing in prayer that we have? Just to audibly say something? I, see, see, there's got to be the blessing in it somewhere. I think the blessing is that he hears, he understands, he, he, he knows our needs and the wants before we, we tell him. Um, Do you think there's ever some times that he allows things to happen that we pray for that's really that we don't need, but that can teach us a lesson if we got it? You know, there's a lot of times, remember God said he gave them over to a reprobate mind. You want this to happen? There it is. Be careful what you wish for, you know. Be careful what you ask for. He he did that in, was it uh, 1 Samuel 8, when they said they wanted a king? He said, here's what a king's going to do. And they said, "Well, we want a king, to be like the other nations, anyway." So God gives them a king, and he, and he, in essence, says, "When this happens, don't come crying to me, because I told you this is going to happen. They're going to, you know, take your, you know, all your stuff. They're going to make you servants. They're going to do all this. Well, we want a king anyway. Okay, there you go. You got a king. Now look what's going to happen, and that's exactly what happened. So I think we've got to pray with confidence." Uh, and understand that God is still at work. He works differently today. He works through a lot of different ways. But, uh, I mean, we, we can't say that God doesn't work or, or what's the point of prayer. And I think David had that kind of confidence. Any other thoughts before we move on? Where are we at? Verse 7 through 15, is that where we're at? I think that's where we're at, yeah. It says, then the earth shook and trembled. Here's How David now starts, he started out by praising God. Now he is, uh, now he was talking about the situations he was in when God delivered him. Now he goes in and talks about this is how God did it. And he says, then the earth shook and trembled. The foundation of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also. And came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the sky. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with uh, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, Hellstones and coals of fire he sent out his arrows and scattered the foe lightning in abundance and he, he vanquished them then the channels of the sea were seen the foundation of the world were uncovered at your rebuke o oh lord at the blast of the breath of your nostrils well that's an awesome side isn't it i mean notice how david describes that he he's describing Oh, looking at this time that God delivered him from all the things that he was in, he's describing. Okay, when God decides to do something, heaven and earth is moving when he does it. There's not going to be any doubt that it's God that's doing it. And all these these things that he describes uh, is just. A, can you imagine seeing this sight? Now you may ask, is that exactly how God did it? I don't know if God, if David's seen things this way or not. There's probably things he attributed to God, but I think he's describing in a way which he's saying he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was God who did it. And not only David, but his enemies knew. His enemies knew that this is how God operates. That when God's behind you, it's like a storm is coming. You better be ready. And if you're an enemy of his children, you're an enemy of God. And this is what takes place when it's that. And, and we see a lot of instances in Scripture where God leaves no doubt that it was him. You know, there's, he, he goes beyond what you think he's going to do, far beyond to where there's no doubt that it's him doing it. And I think this is the way in which uh, David is, is describing it here. He's describing how awesome God's power is. There's no power like it. I do think it's interesting, I did read uh, one instance where a a gentleman said, you know, when we think of today, if we were to think of something that has awesome power, what would we think of? What could bring the most destruction and power that you can think of? A nuclear weapon, weapon, right? So when we think, you know, it's almost like God came in like a nuclear weapon. It just, mowed everything down. But David couldn't reference that, could he? So what's the most powerful thing that you can think of that David could think of? Yeah, a storm. Natural disasters. You know, there's nothing that can beat, no matter what it is, nothing can beat the power of, you know, earthquake, wind, and all of these things. But, you know, this storm that's coming. And that's how he's describing God. You know, there's no doubt when he, when he comes and delivers his people... And, and, and takes vengeance with his enemies, there's no doubt it's God. And I think that's how David, again, is describing this. Uh, one writer said this, When a monarch is angry and prepares for war, his whole kingdom is instantly in commotion. Universal nature is here represented as feeling the effects of its sovereign's displeasure, and all the visible elements are uh, disordered. In other words, when it, it comes time for him to do something, he does it, and he does it beyond a, a shadow of a doubt. Um, when you think about, again, how David is describing uh, God, and as David is, is talking about all the things that uh, God has done for him, uh, you almost get the sense of David you know, now taking in all the promise that God gave him, and now able to look back and say, boy, I I can really see where God worked. And if you put this in the context of of 2 Samuel 22, of David reflecting over his life and once again singing this psalm, I mean, I think it's a wonderful thing when you you can sing a psalm in the victory of of, of battle and and it's still on David's lips at an old age when one of the last things almost that he penned was this psalm. The same song. He's still singing it. It's still on his lips about how wonderful God is. Uh, A lot of times when we uh, get in a situation of victory, it's almost a time of mourning and despair from us because we look at, at how hard it was and all the things that we went through to get to that point. David's not doing that. David's looking at how great and wonderful God was through it all. He's not begrudging God that he spent all of this time as a fugitive, running from Saul, starving sometimes, being in all this kind of despair. He talks about this kind of despair. He said, yeah, I went through this, but look what you did, God. It's almost like he's saying the same thing that Joseph said. All this, other people thought it was for my harm, but God meant it for my good. It's almost the same thing David is saying, isn't it? Look at all that I went through, but look where it got me to In this place. Again, David still wasn't a perfect person in the sense of sinless, but his heart was in the right place and he was willing when he did stumble and fall, when he did sin, that repentance was always there. And that really told you and showed us about his connection uh, that he had with God. Uh, Let's look at, we got a little bit of time, 16 through 19. So said, he sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought uh, me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Now I think this is, we almost read this and say, you can almost look and see where David may actually say, you know, God, God did this because God said, you know, I, I, David's a pretty, pretty amazing person. It's almost like David's saying, I'm pretty great. And this is why God, just because I am great, look what God did for me because he delighted in me. But here's the thing. God delights in all of his children. That, that's, that's what David is saying. David's not getting arrogant and boastful of himself, I don't believe. He's saying, God did this because he delights in me. He delights in his children. What did he do? He he brought him out of many waters. He delivered him from a strong enemy. When David said, you know, they could overtake me. They were too strong for me. I couldn't do it. But he not only delivered him, he put him in a good place. It's not like God said, okay, you're on your own now. I got you out of this mess. Now get out of this. He, He brought him to a good place is what David's saying. So David is looking back and saying, well, I went through some hard times, but who was with me the whole time? You were. This is what you did. I didn't do this. You did it. I, I couldn't confront my enemies. I, I couldn't overcome them. They could overcome me. But this is what you did for me. Uh, you brought me into uh, this place. And uh, again, it's, it, you, you see the passion. And I like I the fact that David had this kind of passion, thanking God and praising God as he did when he was crying out to God. This shows his relationship that he, he felt close to God whether it's in good times or bad times. And he was going to show that closeness to God. I think we'll stop there because we've got several other verses uh, to go and I think we may, we may hit them next week. Any final thoughts? Well, and, it's, and that's really what our Christian life is about. Our Christian life isn't say, okay, I'm a Christian now. I'm never going to sin. Christian life is, okay, I'm a Christian now. What do I do when I do sin? What do I do when sin comes upon me? What do I do when I'm faced with that? And I think that's what we see the difference when it comes to David.